My Biggest Sales Enablement Mistake, a podcast by Eva Enable. Welcome to another episode of My Biggest Sales Enablement Mistake podcast, where we share common mistakes and experiences from a variety of guests so others can learn from them. I am really excited today to be joined by Anthony Doyle, one of my favorite EFA Enable customers. Today's conversation is going to be really valuable, as Anthony has got a unique perspective on sales enablement, having been in sales and sales leadership, and then in learning and sales enablement in the education technology sector, no less. So lots of alignment and different perspectives there. Welcome, Anthony. Do you want to tell everyone listening a little bit more about you and what you do? Sure. Thanks, Kate. Yeah. So um, as Kate introduced me, thanks, Kate, for that very glamorous introduction. But I, <laughs> I think you know, I'm, it's, it's like a hobby now. I, I like I'm writing the intro. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, you know, as you, as you allude to, Kate, you know, my background um, stemmed from early kind of just before the turn of the millennium. I was, uh, you know, a hobbyist kind of web um, programmer developer back in the day in, in the late 90s and I I got into e-learning development um, in the late 90s and then my career spanned kind of developing early learning uh, materials and applications and then into ed tech sales I, my journey started with Blackboard in the sales arena there um, after selling some of my own self-developed systems and I, I had a career with Blackboard for oh, nine years moving up the ranks into um, sort of a account director positions and then took on a sales leadership role and started running um, sales and marketing organizations in, in the ed tech space, uh, various different companies. I, I've had tenure at likes of Schoology, um, Frog Education, uh, QS, which is the Quacarelli Simmons Group. And, and now in my role currently, I'm the director of um, sales enablement here at Turnitin. Um, so, you know, I've, it's, it's good to be at Turnitin because I've seen Turnitin grow up as a business from the sort of a turn of the, the millennium into the business it is today. So um, all things enablement is what makes me tick now using my experience in, you know, as a seller, as a sales leader, as a, a technology developer. So I have a, a unique perspective, I'd say, in, in the uh, ed tech sales world. Definitely, definitely. And I think there's a whole nother podcast, actually, I'd like to do. I'm just going to remind myself around that different perspective between sales leadership and sales enablement and how they both talk about it. But listen, we, we, I digress. Um, having listened to Anthony on Sales Enablement Pro Speaker panel recently, um, which I thought was fantastic, I wanted to get his thoughts on a common enablement misstep of mistaking data for information. Now, I want to start by saying surely data and information are the same thing, Anthony, no? Well, I think, you know, if I go back to my kind of days of doing my GCSEs, you know, in <laughs> class, you know, we had a whole topic on data and information back then. I remember, you know, it's funny, I can remember back to then. And, you know, when you look at data and information, the difference between them, data are just the, the individual components, right? The, the data mm -hmm. points. But information is putting multiple data points together, and deriving um, and analyzing that to derive um, actionable and you know insightful information. So information is the collection of that that multiple data. But I think the key thing, what what the key mistake is in all of this, is um, the context is is often um, missing. Right, that the context mm. of that data is the key thing that gives you that um, ability to transform it into information. So I think that's something we can drill on a little bit further. 
Yeah, definitely. I uh, somebody actually in the cybersecurity sector, which is a, straight, a very very intelligent guy in the cybersecurity sector, once told me, "If data is king, then context is god." And you're absolutely right. Um, and 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 I always lean back on that, that that adage of you know damn lies and statistics. You can you can use data and and manipulate it and work with it to show anything you like, and that's why context is so important, isn't it? It is, and I think that's where the danger lies. I think if, if data was to carry a warning, that would be around that area of, of like trying to derive information from data where the context isn't grounded and well understood. Mm-hmm. Um, and that context can range from, you know, how people are interacting with the data, how the data is getting created in the first place. And where, where I, what I'm alluding to there is kind of what processes are driving the collection of that data, right? So. Okay different people may give a different meaning for example to things like sales pipeline right when something's mm-hmm. at a certain stage of pipeline if you surveyed 100 sellers in the same organization they may tell you different stories about what they're doing at that stage of the of the pipeline and if you try and make decisions and you try to kind of say okay, say, okay. we've got x number of deals in this stage of pipeline um without really being sure on the context of it that your sales organization is operating at a stable and consistent level when they're managing the pipeline stages, you can make grave mistakes around, you know, um, what you're trying to sort of say about the data in your systems, right? You might be saying, okay, we've got a really healthy pipeline here, but actually a lot of the deals that are sitting in a certain stage of that pipeline may be nowhere near where they need to be right because mm-hmm. it's just there's there's underlying issues with how the the teams are operating so i think the context just not only with um kind of what data you're looking at and and why you're looking at that data but what's driving the creation of that data is very important as well yeah yeah that, that's, that's a really interesting thing that you, you mentioned there around that, that perspective of pipeline and, and quality pipeline and the data and it's it is so dangerous to look at one data point isn't it because I was talking to a team yesterday and they said we want to get to healthy what is it healthy accurate and quality pipeline that was their goal so they were just inspecting pipeline and I was like well are you looking for example at how many contacts that that, that are, are people have engaged with around that pipeline you know the stakeholders that's a that's an additional data point to give you additional context you know how long has it dwelt in that in 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 that pipeline stage you know where did it come from what's it all of those different new data points derive and add additional context to that single point don't they Uh, absolutely yeah you're dead right you know it's like if you're looking at pipeline data and you're looking at like top of the funnel and, and sort of early stage pipeline, right? You, your point's very accurate around what's what's going on in the organization, not mm. only you know, what's happening with the pipeline growth. And, and often it's it's too late by the time people start looking at that. They'll start looking at, okay, well, the pipeline, the 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 you know, the the entry into the pipeline is softening. And yeah, that's like when the problem occurs. But then they, they start asking, okay, well, what's going on with the SDRs? How many calls they're making? That you know, what's going on with the marketing campaigns? How many MQLs are we getting? And that's often too late, right? So I think it all has to be taken into consideration when you're looking at things like sales pipeline. But yeah. I think getting back to that um, element of you know the danger around mistaking data inf- for information, mm-hmm. I think the real crux of it comes down to 
actionable um, insight, right? It, it's when you're trying to drive insight and drive actions off it, you've got to yeah. be absolutely sure that you've got the context nailed. I think that's my warning because the worst thing you can do is take action on um, compromised or um, kind of flawed um, data models. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the worst, worst possible outcome because, you know, the damage you cause is is often irretrievable in terms of um, position for, you know, progression throughout the year or you can you can destroy a, a year of sales by taking action, say, mm-hmm. on, you know, entering new members into a territory, hiring new staff, um, cutting back on team members, maybe if you're seeing you know, market conditions changing from the data that you, you, you're seeing in front of you if you haven't got the context absolutely nailed. Yeah, yeah. And it, and even down to, you know, applying fixes. So, you you know, let's say you've got your, your data points to the fact that you've got a conversion challenge between op and close. Things are getting stuck at those final stages and you go, right, it's got to be something to do with negotiation training or it's got to be something to do with, with how, you know, how we're navigating objections. Actually, what it and so you fix that by going. Let's let's go and invest in tons of you know of programs around that, tons of training around that. And actually, your problem, as you said earlier, was really really early on, right? It was early on when you weren't talking to the right persona in the first place. So we had lots of nodding heads in the room, but none of the right nodding heads. So so you're fixing the wrong problem, aren't you? And that's that's costly, as you say. It's delayed. It doesn't solve the problem in the first place, and it's a massive costly delay that has huge repercussions on on ultimately you being able to deliver on your strategy and your goal and you know and the ultimate reason for your business being in existence yeah yeah exactly and and that's it it's one of my favorites actually when when talking about sort of um where an issue lies with a sales team right and and you're right this is a common mistake made and i've seen it made at multiple organizations i've made some mistakes myself right i've made this mistake myself in terms of you know like you said Say you're looking at um, a, a graph that shows you where deals are dropping off in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. And that graph, normally you would expect to see that graph having a high dropout in the early stage of the cycle, at, you know, kind of the qualification stages and, you know, the, the discovery phases of the cycle. Yeah. And as you get through and, the, and you start maturing and, and progressing, you should get less dropout as you're going through the funnel, right? And you should see that, um, graph kind of receding as you get to to you know contract and ultimately proposal and closed stages but like you say often what a lot of organizations see is there's a peak uh, there's a spike right at, at yeah. kind of the proposal stage the proposal goes out and everything goes quiet you know people go dark people start ghosting you right oh yeah we all know about that in sales exactly right <laughs> if you're ready to tell her they'll talk about it and i did this exercise at our sqo just recently i I basically put some colored cards together and I'd, I'd, bas- I'd recommend this to any anyone in enablement running any sort of kickoff event. You know, if you just put each stage of your cycle on a different colored card and put them on a table and on each sales table out there, get your sellers into tables and say to them, look, on the back of the card is the description of the sales stage. And you want, you say to them, discuss between yourselves, um, you know, the the, the set the stale stages and decide as a table which one is the most challenging right which stage stage of the cycle and the deals you've been running is the most challenging and get them to hold that color card up and i did this at our sko 
and so many people on the tables held up proposal and like the the back end you know the mm-hmm. closing stages of the cycle yeah and when we got into discussion around it often what it was coming back to was just the discovery stage it always brought back brought it back to the discovery stage in the cycle because what a seller will do is they'll go through discovery and they'll think they've hooked into the problem and they'll just run away with it but they won't be really articulating the impact to the institution the mm-hmm. negative impact and what's ultimately causing that problem to occur the root cause so in a lot of the training we do we talk about this we talk about you know pick charts coming from you know gap selling right if you look at yeah. key work and gap selling problem impact root cause and if you don't nail those pieces and you just allow that cycle to push on and you you try and like hurry it along to, to close, prospect will just go dark, right? They'll be like, well, it's, you know, it's not really worth me solving. I've got other priorities, et cetera. So that's one of the things that we, I've, I've seen as a key mistake where people say, oh, you're not a good closer, right? You've got all this mm-hmm. pipeline sitting in proposal stage and none of it's closing. Well, actually the problem more likely is that discovery hasn't been done correctly. Yeah. Yeah, you right. haven't you haven't built that part long, like big enough, and haven't spent enough time and attention, as you say, building the impact and the implications of of that. Yeah, exactly. You haven't exposed the gap enough. The gap's just not big mm-hmm. enough between the current state and the future state, and you know you haven't exposed the pain enough. Or it might just be a problem that's not big enough to warrant solving. You know, in terms yeah. of negative impact it's bringing on the institution or the organization. Um, so that's a key thing. The other thing I've seen in this kind of conversation too is, and I've seen this, this in multiple orgs that I've worked at, whereas sellers just sit on deals, right? In in the lead pipeline, they don't convert it from lead into opportunity and their processes allow them to do that. You know, there's no force in terms of when it's working with the SDR and when it hands over to the account exec. It okay. doesn't get converted as part of that process. So it sits in the lead pipeline it gets worked away as a lead when it's actually an opportunity and it only goes into the pipeline when it goes to the proposal. Yeah. <laughs> all of those yeah. stages of the process are skipped, right? So all Ooh, of a sudden you the, see... The ghost data, the whole ghost data and ghost yeah. process that exists in, uh, in what does somebody call me, the, the shadow processes that exist in every organization, secret yeah. spreadsheets. Exactly, yeah. right? So what's yeah. that doing to your data analysis? Because you're you're trying to report on the pipeline data and you're making decisions based on you know you're not having enough deals in say discovery and stakeholder engagement stages etc but that's actually happening it's happening on the dark pipeline (laughs) right (laughs) so then you're making decisions but you haven't you know you you haven't got it nailed because you don't understand that a lot of your sellers are are really not not working in a disciplined way yeah and so again, I think that's a whole other, a whole other um, podcast episode in terms of how that, that you can get that discipline and, and, and align to what's in it for them to make sure that, that the sales teams actually engage with the processes properly, engage with the data properly. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I think these things are all important, but I think what it comes back to is really understanding the way the organization is operating. And I think that's where a lot of the context comes from. So when I see sort of large data um, reporting projects and like in a large instances of Tableau and lots of data warehousing and you know, d- data lakes getting spun up and things like that, I'm often 
kind of the one who will raise my hand up in the room and say, have we got our processes sorted? Mm. Are we sure that the organization can operate in a way that will give us robust, consistent data points, right? Because if those data points vary vastly and the interpretation of sales stages, the consistency of how people are forecasting and how people are building pipeline and, you know, making sure we haven't got this dark pipeline occurring on spreadsheets everywhere. If that's not nailed, the data going in is going to be crap, right? Yeah. So the information that you're trying to derive pulling out of that data is going to be crap. Crap, crap, crap in, crap, in, crap out, crap out yeah. right? So <laughs> it's kind of very, very key. And I think the context often lies in how the organization is operating and, you know, making sure that the processes, the systems are robust enough to ensure that the data coming in is going to be, you know, validated and verified. You know, and I think that's the key thing. A lot, not a lot of people, when they're looking at the reporting on the, the organization and looking at reporting on pipeline and things like that, are validating and verifying the pipeline data. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not doing the data validation pieces. If I go back to my information system days and GCC again, they're not, they're not doing those components and not doing the basics around data yeah. validation. Yeah, I think I think something that um, that always rings true for me is is that five whys principle of kind of root cause analysis. It's taking a piece of data, and and, and not even five, by the way, sometimes seven until you get to that root cause. It's asking why. Yeah. Why is the data telling me this? What's the next step behind it? Because unless you do that, unless you go to that root cause, you again, like we said earlier, you're solving the wrong problem. Yeah. You're solving the symptom. I think it's yes. a big problem that sellers have, right? We often try and sell to symptoms rather than selling to the root cause of the problem. Yeah. And it's the same with data. You know, it's the same with when you you got to ask, like you say, why are we trying to report on this on this data, right? Why why are we what are we looking to achieve? What's the issue we're trying to solve? You know, and yeah. and that's where the context is going to lie. Um, I think that's where it's all going to live. Yeah. You know, I think another one is around um you know sales performance this is a this is a great example too you know if you look at sales performance data and you look at how we're doing in comparison to year to date mm-hmm. and start reporting on that data you know a lot of organizations can make the mistake of reporting on year to date numbers and getting a feel for how they're performing looking at you know mixed pools of renewal um renewals and new sales right and yeah. overall sales performance there and the picture might look great in q1 and q2 right that actually we're running on on where we need to be year to date and this is a very basic sort of um, observation right and people might think why are you saying this anthony but i think a lot of organizations will do it especially at sort of um, middle management level and they'll be looking at okay we're, we're, we're where we need to be but when they actually look at what their expansion or new sales numbers are um they miss the point that actually all they're doing is they're closing a lot of future quarter. Yeah, there's going to be a time. hole. There's going to be a hole in the future, isn't there? Because exactly. you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yeah, or you're bringing in, you know, you maybe he's operating on um, TCV, like total contract value-based quarters, right? Where, you yeah. know, you can close three years and you can get credit for that, things like that. Um, yeah. Even if you're working on an on annualized contract value, this issue can occur too. And what you'll find is in Q3, Q4, you can't catch up because the the revenue is just not there to close, right? You've already booked it. Yeah. Those types of things occur a lot and surprisingly 
high numbers of times in a lot of organizations, um, very basic mistakes to make, but they, they, they consistently get made in organizations that I've, I've interacted with, or I've, I know people who work at certain orgs and things like that have yeah. talked to me about um, being common problems. Um, but just things like that are very, very important. And if you, you know, were to look at, instead of reporting on year to date, but to look at, okay, well, what have we actually closed of the Q1 quoted renewals and new business target, you know, Q2, Q3, Q4, even when you're in Q1, and then look at that data, it paints a very, very different picture. Yeah, bookables versus record recognition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just sticking with that sales performance one, it occurs to me as well that, that a common mistake people make with, with kind of looking at individual sales performance or, or, or what, what does a good seller look like it is only looking at those numbers as well and that not painting the right picture. So, you know, a common thing, I've, I've had it before where, where we've been looking at kind of promotion pathways for sales teams and we've said, you know, oh, look, that, that those five people all smashed their target last year. Well, you know, one of them smashed their target, was, was absolutely worked hard, grafted for that, did all of the right behaviors, exhibited all of the right mindsets. Brilliant. They're ready. The other one, you know, the, rep two had a drop in from a partner. They've got, you know, the, the, it was a last minute thing. They weren't performing all year and, and they're a bit of a, you know, a lone wolf. They don't contribute. Great. Okay. So that's additional context to that. You know, the, the final one, it's just got that really, really lush patch, right? Everybody else yeah. says that, really lush patch. They just smash it every year. But are they ready for that next career move? Could they handle themselves in any other particular way? And again, it just shows that that context totally changes the outcome of your decision. Those three shouldn't be pitted against each other for, for promotion. There's one clear, clear winner for that, even if they all ended on the same number, right? Yeah. So it, again, just paints that picture of, you're not seeing the full picture if you only look at that one data point uh, yeah. and make decisions about that one data point because those decisions will come back and, and bite you. Yeah, that's it. And I think, you know, they may have a fantastic, you know, they may have a fantastic SDR, right? They may yeah. have a fantastic SE. They, they may have a really winning team around them and all they're doing is kind of maestroing it. They're not doing any of their own mm. positional pitches. They're getting an SE and who's, who's an absolute wizard at that. And, you know, that person probably should be promoted to a, a sales exec with their own quarter and things like that right and there's there's so many different things when you're working in teams but i think you know the dangerous thing around all of that what you talk about is then the promotion piece yeah. because you know if you go and promote based on sales performance and like you say there is certain sellers out there who are very very savvy they will shift their patch every single year they'll understand more about other people's patches than sometimes their own because yeah. they're looking at kind of wangling territory changes to get those lush accounts into their patch next year, right? And there's all sorts of them politics that go in and the selling organizations around the world, yeah. which I've party to in the past as well. But the you know, the outstanding sales performers are the ones who get dumped those accounts, mm -hmm. those lush patch sellers, right? And then those accounts get turned around from yeah. accounts that are at risk of dropping into accounts that are driving, you know, two, three X on revenue yeah. um, in the following years. And, you know, I've seen some of that in orgs. I've, I've been part of some of that myself, you know, I've been chucked accounts over the fence. I've been able to turn them around and do wonders with them. I've had colleagues who've, who've absolutely been rescue artists and they're the best sellers out there. Yeah. And I think when you promote those top performance or performers, without the context of 
how they can perform as a rounded seller and you know their understanding of all of the different competencies around sales mm-hmm. um you're just promoting someone into a management position often and it's a slippery slope oh yeah you know, they're then managing the next crop of sellers and the standard's just going to drop right yeah. it's going to drop and i've seen that happen in certain organizations as well where you know and you know that the kind of old sort of um you know the the old kind of sayings of a good seller doesn't make a good manager and mm-hmm. things like that and they are very it's very very true um but i think going back to like you say there around like how do they operate how are the sellers operating and you know how are they dealing at every stage of the process how are they generating pipeline how are they digging in when things are hard in a really rough patch how are they working creatively when they're getting to saturation of tam you know, to find new business and new markets and new value yeah. propositions. Um, they're very, very important points of data that should be pulled into the information conversation. Agreed, agreed. I could talk about this all day, um, but I, I want to wrap up with a few bits of, I've been scribbling notes as I as I always do in these things because I learn so much from them, Anthony. And no I've problem. written down a, a couple of things here that, that I think is that, that are key takeaways for people. Um, I'm going to say, I've written down warning and danger and I I feel like we should need a red light uh, and an alarm is never rely on one data point yeah Yeah. or always dig beneath the surface because because otherwise you aren't getting and I've again I've written down actionable insights that's what information is it's actionable insight and so you need to go beyond that initial data point um I'm going to draw everybody's attention by the way back to that colored card process yep. that you did in your SKO. I think that's brilliant. I'm absolutely going to do it myself. And I think everybody should take um, take that on board. It's great to change perceptions, isn't it? Um, mm. And start that process. Um, yep. I loved the fact that you question that, that when you do get those data points and you bring in lots of data points, make sure that the process is right behind that data because otherwise the data in itself isn't trustworthy um, and robust. Um, and then my final bit there is, is remember that dark pipeline, the dark data that exists in your organization and might not be represented in your data. I think that's uh, that's really key. I've got one so, final one for you, Kate, on this. Oh, go on, go on. Ask, why else could this be occurring? You know, nice. if you got a data point and it's a good picture, it's painting a good picture or it's painting a bad picture. It doesn't matter if it's, it's, a, it's a good perceived outcome or a bad perceived outcome. Perception is the key word. And that's the perception, right? relative to what you're looking at but always look for alternative answers because that's where you can sometimes pull the context back right yeah. you can you can retrieve the context if you ask why else could this be occurring and i think when you're looking at interpreting statistics that can be explained in many different ways you can make a data table look like an outcome that you want it to look like mm-hmm. just by mislabeling the x-axis or yeah. emitting a piece of um, very important data. So like you say, but always ask, that's the other bit of insight is always ask, why else could this be occurring? I love that. Such a simple takeaway, but actually the fundamental thing, whatever everything we've just been talking about. So I think that that sums it up beautifully. Thank you so much, Anthony, for joining us today and sharing um, the, the experiences that you've had and, and, and what people can do about them. I really, really appreciate that. If anybody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way that they could do that? They can do it on LinkedIn. You know, I'm I'm on LinkedIn, um, Anthony Doyle, and uh, you know, you'll you'll find me often sort of liking lots to do with, uh, you know, various things on LinkedIn. But uh, you know, you you can catch me on LinkedIn. The same profile picture, I believe, so it should be there. 
All right, fantastic. Well, thank you everybody for listening to another episode of my biggest sales enablement podcast. Thanks very much. <laughs>